Welcome to the Declaration Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor John Sherrill. For more information about Declaration Church and other resources, visit declaration.org. I remember um, way back in the day when I was 15 going to the Dawson McAllister Student Conference, and I loved it. I thought it was incredible. One year, we did this study called A Walk with Christ to the Cross, and it was a powerful study. Um, it was probably one of the more powerful things that I remember and more passionate things that I remember Dawson speaking about those final hours of Jesus as he willingly embraced the cross, of course, told in a way that only Dawson McAllister could tell it. So over the next couple of weeks, even though I am not Dawson McAllister, I do hope together that we'll embark on a powerful and passionate journey with Jesus through those final hours that ultimately led to his death and to our deliverance. Okay, so you know, We're going to be in the book of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible at the Connection Center, we have some free Bibles for you. I would love for you to grab one. I know that we all have Bible apps and all that good stuff, but just as your pastor, man, I want to to encourage you. There's nothing like getting into the real thing, all right? So get get the book, get the Bible, and um, there's a free one there. If you don't have one, please go grab that. We're going to be in the book of Matthew mostly, chapter 26. However, we're going to cross-reference the other synoptic gospel accounts of some stories of the Passion story, as well as... We're probably going to look in the book of John, but our focus is going to eventually be Matthew. So as we begin this morning, I want you to hear an account of an amazing story adapted from each gospel wrapped into one, okay? As written by a pastor by the name of Scott Nichols. Now, I know that if you're in the house, he was actually in service when we have a Scott Nichols here, and he is from Canada. I do not think it is the same guy. Okay, Um, at least he did not take credit, but I was willingly giving credit to him. I did not know he was a pastor either, but now that I know, we're going to put him to work. All right, so um, this is a guy, Scott Nichols, that wrote this. So listen as I read this, okay? And and I want you to go into the imagination, into the the theater of your mind, if you will, and imagine the story as I read. All right, listen. She hesitates in the doorway, separating the two rooms. Through the opening, she sees her sister Martha hard at work helping Simon's wife prepare the evening meal in the kitchen. She listens to the laughter and conversation as it drifts through the house. She hears Simon make a joke at Peter's expense. And the fisherman joins in the lighthearted talk and his laugh, coarse laughter kind of raises above the rest of the noise. They're all there. She knows them. Peter, James, John, the rest of the disciples, Simon, who's called a leper, her brother, known as Lazarus, and Jesus, who is the reason for the celebration. Jesus has been causing quite a stir in Jerusalem this Passover, and Simon's home is providing a much-needed break from the coming storm. Though she shivers a bit as she ponders the dark thought of all that's happening. It almost seems that Jesus is determined to do something very dramatic, something even greater than the miracle of raising her brother back from the dead. There's something that's about to happen. She knows that. She can see it in his eyes. Somehow, they seem sadder than she's ever seen before, and she's frightened by that look. But tonight is a night for celebrating, and she wants to do her part. Clutching the fragile alabaster jar to her chest, she enters into the main room. At first, no one even really notices her arrival. They don't pay attention to it. Caught up in all the revelry, they, they, they don't see her walk in and stand right behind Jesus. She takes the jar of costly perfume, most likely the most extravagant thing that she owns, and she breaks the thin neck with an audible crack. Immediately, the air is filled with this sweet perfume that's created 
with ingredients brought all the way back from India. This oil or this perfume, the fragrance quickly spreads throughout the room and even into the entire house. Catching the scent, all eyes turn toward her. Before she loses her nerve, she quickly pours the entire bottle over the head of Jesus. It runs down over his neck and on his beard carefully. She captures some of the thick liquid and kneels at his side. Lovingly, she rubs it into the top of his feet. And he smiles warmly down at her. And her heart leaps for joy. But the joy is short-lived. The accusing words of Judas rips the air. What an entire waste. Mary looks up in shock with this that's just evident in her eyes. Why that perfume costs a working man a year's wages and you just waste it, you just pour it out. Philip chimes in. You could have sold that for 300 denarius and given it to the poor. Mary's face immediately flushes with embarrassment and hot tears form in the corner of her eyes. She stumbles in trying just to get up and get out of that room any way she can. It's then that she feels Jesus take her by the hand, standing beside her. He turns to the others. Why are you saying these things to her? Mary's done a beautiful thing to me. Drawing her close, he continues. The poor you're always going to have, and they're always going to be there to do good for. But, but I'm only going to be here just a little while longer. Mary, what she's done, she, she is preparing for the day that I'm taken away. Smiling, he caresses her hair. I tell you the truth. Whenever the good news is proclaimed in this whole world, people will remember what you've done tonight. This account of the anointing of Jesus in Bethany stands out like a rose in the midst of thorns. See, what had begun with the triumphal entry on Sunday had quickly degenerated into a witch hunt with Jesus as the prey and Jesus at the center. And now on Wednesday, the forces of darkness are gathering in full strength as the religious leaders plot to find a way to kill Jesus. And by night's end, they will find the means as one of the Savior's own men, Judas, will agree to betray him for the price tag of a common slave. See, in Pastor Scott's adapted story, we see a blend of all the gospel accounts rolled into one, with possibly the exception of the account that we see in the book of Luke. Now, I believe that this story focuses on Mary of Bethany um, from the John chapter 12 account when he begins. But in the timeline, um, we see that he quickly shifts to the Matthew account where he claims that it's Wednesday after the triumphal entry. But both Matthew and John reference two days before the Passover where John says six days. However, in John, it does say six days. But if you read it, um, it says he had come to Bethany, but it's not implicit that this meal in particular is happening six days prior. It could be any time in that time frame. So I don't want us to focus on the when. I want us to focus on the what. I'm going to read John 12, 1 through 8, and listen to what it says. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So he had already raised Lazarus from the dead. It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. I love that passage. In verse 2, so they gave a dinner for him. They're celebrating. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary, therefore, takes this pound, or she takes 16 ounces. I want you to imagine a can of Coke. And add four more ounces. She takes that volume of this perfume, this oil, and she begins to just pour it. It's made of something called pure nard, which sounds absolutely lovely to wear, right? I mean, I don't know. Nard. You got any nard? Um, I'm sure Neiman Marcus has, and it's $500. Um, but so she takes this, pour, this, this perfume, and she anoints the feet of Jesus on the account of John. And, and she wipes his feet with her hair. The fragrance of, the, of this fills the house. 
But Judas, you know, one of the disciples who is about to betray Jesus, he says, well, what, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? I mean, that's, that's like 300 days, save every red cent that you own, and that's what this is worth. Can you imagine? Why would you not sell that and give that to the poor? And he didn't say it because he cared for poor people. He said it because he's a thief. And he somehow had managed to take charge of all the money of the disciples. And so he he would skim some for himself. Verse 7, Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. He's saying she has done a beautiful thing for me. For the poor you're always going to have with you, but you're not going to always have me. Leave her alone. Jesus defends her. Leave her alone. She's done something beautiful. Her her faith in him, her belief in him, her heart for him was beautiful to him. Leave her alone. In Matthew, this account takes a little more information. We see a little bit more information. We're going to start in 25, Matthew 25. So Jesus had just spent time talking about those that belong to him versus those who don't. He called them sheep and goats. He basically said that the righteous would inherit eternal life with God. Those are the sheep, but the goats, they would be sent away forever, departed from God into eternal punishment. So that is the place from which he takes off. And it says, when Jesus had finished saying all those things... He tells, he tells his disciples, you know that the Passover takes place after two days and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. So he's telling them, here's, here's what's coming. This is what's happening. He says, then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the courtyard of the high priest who was named Caiaphas. And they conspired to arrest Jesus in a treacherous way and kill him. Not during the festival, they said, so there won't be rioting among people. But while Jesus was in Bethany, now you see it pick up. He's at the house of Simon the leper. A woman approached him with the alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. She pours it out on his head as he's reclining at the table. I want you to know the tables back then were were not very high off the ground. They were most likely in a U shape, if you will. That's why um, that's why when you see the pictures, the paints you know painted in your grandma's house, Jesus obviously said. Come on this side so you'll be in the picture. That's not what happened. But, I mean, it's, it's kind of a U-shape, kind of low to the ground. And they would recline there, and that's how they would eat, right? And so that's what's happening right here. That's where they are. That's kind of the posture that they're in. And that's when this woman comes in. They're at Simon the leper's house. That's important. We'll see in a minute. This woman comes in. She pours out the oil. Um, the disciples are indignant. Why waste it? This could have been sold. You know the story. We said it. Aware of this, Jesus says, why are you bothering this woman? On and on and on. So let's, let's see what we know. We're in the last days of Jesus' life. We're in the final hours. Jerusalem is buzzing. Preparations are being made because Passover is coming. And Passover is a significant feast in the history of Israel. Early in Israel's story, God spoke to Moses and told him, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him to let my people go. Set my people free. We can see that God has been committed. Listen, this is for you and me. We can see that God has been committed to the freedom of his people for a really, really long time. Come on, somebody say amen to that. I mean, he's been committed to the freedom of his people for a while. So Pharaoh, of course, he denies this request. So God sends punishment. He sends plague after plague as Pharaoh continues to resist God's command. At this point, God finally tells Moses that because of Pharaoh and what he's not done, what he's asked, he says, I'm going to send the angel of death all throughout Egypt and the firstborn of every family will die. How tragic is this? Now, we could sit in, 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 in our entitlement and say, well, God, you're a mean God. But watch what God does next. Because this is, this is God. This is what he always does. Just in the moment where we want to curse the sky and shake our fist at God and blame him for everything that's gone wrong, watch what God does for his people. He says this. 
He says, I want you to do two things, Moses. I want you to take a lamb and slay it. And then I want you to smear the blood of that sacrificed lamb across the doorframe of your homes. Tell all of our people so that when the angel of death sees the blood as he passes over, he's gonna pass over those homes. And when he sees the blood, he will not harm the child. So God gave his people a rescue. God's been in that business since the beginning. God gives, the, God gives a way for rescue and redemption every time. We're the ones that resist him. And you may know the rest of the story. Pharaoh, eventually, he, he eventually relents and he lets the people go free. But then he changes his mind and he says, no, 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 army, get after him. I want you to go get him and bring him back. Well, you probably heard of the Red Sea, you know, that whole thing that happened there. Once again, God gives his people a rescue and the Egyptian army ends up chasing them down all the way to their death as they drown. I love, at this point, as I'm reading, I went back and read part of that, Daw- that book from Dawson. I love how he explains the significance of Passover. Listen, he says, you see, when the angel of death came over the land, God did not ask his people, are you ready for it? He did not say, hey, are you good looking enough? He didn't say, are you smart enough? Are you wise enough? Do you have a strong enough 401k to get in? I mean, he didn't say, did you get the right education? Did you excel in sports? Was your kid the best athlete on the field? He didn't say, how many followers did you gain on Facebook or Insta? He didn't, I added that, Dawson didn't say that. But he didn't say any of those things. Because guess what? He wasn't looking for any of those things. That's what we look for. So what was God looking for? He was looking for the blood. The blood, that's all he wanted to see. The blood of the spotless lamb smeared over his people. Dawson went on to say this. He said, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is our Passover. What does this mean? That means that when you and I someday stand before God in judgment, he is not going to look at us and say, hey, were you good looking enough? Were you rich? Were you a cheerleader or a football star? Did you have a good reputation? Were you a good and moral person? Were you religious enough? Did you go to church enough? He's not gonna do that. He's not gonna ask these things. Instead, he's gonna say, was the blood of Christ over you? Have you trusted Christ for your forgiveness, allowing his death to pay the penalty of your sins? If this is true of you, the Bible says that you were no longer under judgment for Christ was judged in your place. In this way, Christ is the Passover. He is the Passover. He is the perfect lamb of God that was slain. The judgment of God will pass over those who trust in Christ, those who surrender to him, asking him to cover us by the blood he spilled on the cross to purchase our forgiveness and our freedom. So Passover was a big deal and Jesus knew it. And I want you to know this, listen. The timing of Jesus' journey to the cross was deeply and divinely intentional when it comes to Passover. It was intentional. So with the timing understood, what else do we know? Well, we know in verse six, while Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, Jesus was at the house of Simon the what? The what? The leper, that doesn't make sense. Obviously, Jesus must have healed Simon the leper that be in his house with Simon the leper. Why? Because if Simon still had leprosy, he would have been cast outside the city and anyone in eyesight that saw him, Simon would immediately have to start going, leper, leper, to try to keep them away from him, to let them know that he was a diseased and dying man. So obviously, if Jesus was with Simon in his house, he had been healed. So Jesus is at his house. 
He's with Simon. Lazarus is there, who he's raised from the dead. Martha's serving. Jesus is surrounded by a guy that he's raised from the dead and a guy that he's healed from a debilitating disease that was most likely leading to death. I want you to see it. I love it. So this group of people, these disciples, you know, these are not the best and the brightest. These are not the ones with the right pedigree. He went after the least of these. So this room is filled with the least of these, a once dead guy and a guy about to be dead. That's who we got in the room. A guy who, who basically society had shut out. Man, if that, don't, that, that's probably gotta, that speaks to me. How many of you have ever felt shut out? Well, you would have an invitation into the room with Jesus. So it is here that we see verse 7, where the woman approaches him with the alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. She pours it out on his head as he's reclining at the table. This woman enters into an area filled with men with this alabaster jar. She's at Simon the leper's house with this very expensive perfume. You know what that tells me? That tells me that she had planned to do this. This was premeditated. She thought long and hard about this. She took the most valuable, extravagant thing that she owned, that she possessed, to Simon the leper's house, to the dinner with Jesus. And she begins to pour it out on him. One whole pound of this stuff. 16 ounces, all of it, lavished upon Jesus. Verse 8, when the disciples see this, they're indignant. Why this waste? I mean, this could have been sold at a great deal and given to the poor. They're saying, this was so expensive. How wasteful you are, woman. This was like pouring out every dollar you saved for nearly a year. I mean, this could have literally possibly fed 5,000 people, and you're going to pour it out like this? What are you thinking? I mean, you know, to some, that argument at first glance, it seems like a good argument. It even might seem righteous to a degree, but not to Jesus. To Jesus, it was so much more. Verse 10, he's aware of where this Jesus says, why are you bothering her? I mean, what she's done for me is so noble, This is a noble thing she's done. This is such a completely humble thing that she's done. This is an extravagant thing that she's done. Her love is so extravagant in this action. The level of sacrifice on my behalf is so huge. What are you saying to her? You're going to always have poor people with you, but you're not always going to have me. And by doing this, by her doing this, she has prepared me for burial because of what's coming. Her love is lavished upon me. Her acknowledgement basically of who I am, her anointing of me, her honoring of me culturally, she is basically saying, you are king. She's preparing me for my burial. Her worship, her offering, her praise is preparing the way for me, Jesus says. Her praise is preparing the way for me. He says, somebody needs to hear that this morning. Your praise prepares the way for the Lord. So how are you praising? He goes on to say, 13, Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Can you see the beautiful picture of her heart? Can you see the humility in the story? I mean, go back to the the, the book of John again in verse 3. She takes this pound, 16 ounces, all of it, expensive ointment made from pure nard, anoints the feet of Jesus. And in John, it says, she wipes his feet with her hair. I mean, so, okay, Jewish woman, her hair is her crown. It's her glory. She takes her hair down, which is not culturally okay. It's not an acceptable practice. In fact, I mean, this is something really reserved for intimate moments. 
She takes her hair down and she pours the most extravagant thing she has out on the feet of Jesus. And she begins to take her crown, watch this, at her feet. And she begins to wipe the dirtiest part of Jesus' body right then with her glory. Come on, somebody. And if that doesn't speak, I don't know what will. So her worship, her sacrifice here was so extravagant. And just the depth of humility... This is the heart that blesses the heart of God. This is the beautiful. Somebody say the beautiful. No matter what she's done, no matter where she's been, look at where she is now and look at what she's doing. Scripture goes on to say, verse 4, the house is filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas, one of the disciples who was there to betray him, said that. Why was this ointment not sold? It could have been given to the poor. Again, not because he cared about poor people. He cared about himself. So with Mary, her heart, her humility, her worship, her sacrifice, but what of Judas? So in the same room as Lazarus, Simon, Mary, Martha, and Jesus, we have Judas. Matthew 26, 14. Then one of the 12, the man called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest, and he said, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So what do they do? They weigh out 30 pieces of silver, and they give it to him. And from that time, he started looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. What a stark contrast. What a difference between what we see here. You know, one deeply beautiful and the other depraved betrayal. Judas. So here we have one of Jesus' guys. He's one of the 12. I mean, he was supposedly an intimate of Jesus. He was a friend. He knew Christ face to face. He walked with Jesus daily. He heard most everything that Jesus taught. He was a witness to most everything that Jesus did. He was obviously respected as he was the treasurer of the crew. In verse 17, on the, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Go to the city, he says. Look for this certain man. Tell him the teacher says, my time's near. I'm celebrating the Passover at your place with my disciples. So the disciples did exactly as Jesus directed. When evening came, they're reclining at the table with the 12. While they're eating, he says, truly, listen, can you imagine the scene? I mean, they're, they're eating. They eat a lot. <laughs> they're eating. And all of a sudden, I don't know what's going on in the room. Maybe they're laughing. Maybe it's jovial. And all of a sudden, I mean, can you imagine just the, the, the gravity when Jesus stops it and says, hey, listen, one of you are going to betray me. Surely not me, God. Surely not me, Jesus. No. So they just started one by one. Surely not I. Surely, deeply distressed, each one, surely not I, Lord. He replies, the one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl, he will betray me. The son of man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would be better for him if he had never even been born. Judas, the betrayer, replies, well, surely not I, Rabbi. He says, you've said it, he told him. You have said it. Betrayal at the hands of the one who knew Jesus and claimed to follow him. I can only think how many times had Jesus provided for him? How many times had he witnessed a supernatural occurrence at the hand of Jesus with his own eyes? How many times had he seen a miracle with his own eyes? I imagine even, was he there when Jesus fed the multitudes? He took just a little and provided for literally 10,000 people, not 5,000, not counting women and children. I mean, was he there in that moment? And in this very moment... 
Here he is, willing to betray Jesus for the price of a common slave back then. I mean, what, if must, what, what must have been the posture of his heart? Such a difference between the beauty of Mary and her heart for Jesus versus the heart of Judas and his ability to betray Jesus. The crazy thing to consider is right now, okay, so how does this apply to us? How does this, I mean, what does this say to me? What is this, what's my takeaway here, John? When we look at the story of Judas Iscariot, you will clearly see, and I want you to check this, it is completely possible, watch, to be loved by Jesus, to be gifted by Jesus, to spend time with other people who love Jesus, to be a student of the teachings of Jesus, to be a supposed Christian leader, one who even witnesses the supernatural, one who can see a miracle take place, to be someone who is respected by others, but also to still be an enemy of Christ himself. It is absolutely possible to do that. And one might say, well, no, 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 I grew up in the church, dude. I serve here, dude. I gave money here. Hey, get this. Good. If that's the trophy that you were after, but it is not an intimate knowledge, a surrender, a submissive, humble, extravagantly worshipful heart before him. Unless we turn from our fatal flaws and our sin, unless we turn from our depravity and surrender and believe in Christ for who he is as the Savior and the Lord of our lives and repent... It is possible to find ourselves disappointed or unmoved by the message of that cross. For Mary, this was eternal life. It was freedom. It was hope. It was joy for Judas. And like the Judas spirit, this can only lead to eternal tragedy. But Jesus, here's the, here's the greatest part of it. If you just walk through Matthew, then you have Jesus. So you have the beautiful and you have the betrayal. But you know the best part is you have the bread. You have the bread. We see this. We see all three here. We see the provision of God, the rescue of God. Look at what happens in Matthew 26, verse 26 through 30. As they're eating, Jesus takes the bread. He blesses it and breaks it. He gives us to his disciples and says, take this and eat this. This is my body. Then he takes the cup. And after giving thanks, he gives it to them and says, drink from this, all of you. For this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. And after singing a hymn, they go out to the Mount of Olives. I love the fact that they were singing a hymn when they left. I love that. You know what that tells me is? Man, Jesus had just unloaded just a dump truck of gravity news on them. But still somehow, we're going to sing and we're going to go. Can you imagine the mood in that upper room when they were there in that moment? When Jesus is telling his friends what's about to happen and he takes the bread and he breaks it, representing his body that's about to be broken. I cannot help but see the parallel in, in that woman just lavishing him with the most extravagant thing that she has, pouring it all out, and then thinking about Jesus saying, this is the blood of my covenant, which is about to be poured out for, the, for you. For the forgiveness of your sins. The most extravagant thing that he can give you is the entirety of his life. I mean, his body is about to be crushed for our iniquity so that we could have intimacy. Our sin needed a savior, a lamb, a sacrifice. We needed a Passover. Every person in this room needs a Passover. 
So as we begin to contemplate the cross today, I want you to think. He took the bread. He took the cup. The wine, the cup of life, the bread, the body. And he said, take and eat, take and drink. So over the next few weeks, obviously, we're going to be contemplating those final hours of his life. What do we bring to him? Do we bring him the heart that's beautiful to him? Does our life look beautiful to him? Have we surrendered and given him all of our affection and our attention and our allegiance? Do we extravagantly give out of a humble heart of gratitude? Is it beautiful? Or does it look more like betrayal? You know, the book of Luke, the same story of the woman anointing the feet of Jesus comes from a totally different place. The characters seemingly sound the same. I think they're different. It's a different Mary and a different Simon. This time Simon's a Pharisee. This time Mary is a prostitute. And that just got real. <laughs> That's in the Bible. And she comes in to the house of a Pharisee where a prophet is. Think about that. And the same events play out. And this time, Simon the Pharisee, he doesn't say anything. He's thinking it. Who in the world is up here up in my house? What is he doing allowing her to touch him? Does he know who she is? Does he know what she's done? Does he know what she does for a living? Think about it. The very perfume that she was pouring on the feet of Jesus most likely was the perfume she used in her profession. And she's saying, you know what? Every, every bit of my life, I'm going to pour out to you. You know what that is? That is a heart that understands the depth of their, the gravity of their depravity, but has tasted the freedom and forgiveness. And so Jesus cuts his eyes over at him. Remember, Simon's thinking this, and Jesus just kind of cuts at, hey, uh, let, me, let me ask you a question, Simon. Let's say there's two guys. One, he owes 500 denarii, and the other owes 50. And the guy that he owes, both of them owe the same guy. That guy forgives both of them. Who appreciates it more? Simon says, well, I would assume the guy with 500. Of course. Of course. Why? Because he's been forgiven of much, much more. And then he looks at the woman and he says, your sins are forgiven, go in peace. How many of you need to believe? Maybe you've heard it before, but you need to absolutely believe it, that your sins are forgiven and you can go in peace. Because see, the truth of the matter is, is no matter which Mary and no matter which Simon, no matter Judas, we're all in that story. And we're all broken. And whether it's beautiful or whether it's betrayal, we all need the bread. We all need the bread. We all need the Passover. We all need the cup of life, the blood that purchases our forgiveness and our freedom. We all need the bread, the body of Christ that was broken for us. This morning, I'm going to ask. Thanks for listening to the Declaration Church podcast. We pray many blessings over you and your journey as you declare him to the nations. For more podcasts and teachings, visit declaration.org slash podcast.